Welcome to the Memories of a Moonbird podcast, exploring life one story at a time. Hello friends, I'm Daniel Sherl. Today on the show, he's a passionate artist, musician, and an educator who's been teaching astronomy for over 30 years. He's exhibited his art at multiple venues and has released six albums of original music. But this Renaissance man also volunteers his time as a scoutmaster, something he's done for over 20 years to help teach kids about the importance of a connection to nature. We met in our early 20s when we both worked at a music store in Buffalo, New York. We became fast friends and even got in trouble for having fake lightsaber battles with rolled up movie posters in the aisles. Today we're going to talk about the importance of music, education, our shared love and admiration of Carl Sagan, and maybe do a little reminiscing along the way. Please welcome, zooming in from Buffalo, New York, the city of my alma mater, my very good friend and really cool human being, Stephen Dubois. Stephen, how are you doing today? Very well. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. So uh, I recall you were born and raised in Buffalo, correct? Yes, that is true. Uh, my parents were from Detroit, though. My dad was actually of uh, Belgian descent. Love their chocolate. Yes, excellent chocolate. And uh, the waffles <laughs> are top notch as well. Now, what did your mom and dad do for a living? So they were both educators. My mom uh, taught English in the Detroit city schools. Mm -hmm. And my dad came to education a little oddly. He wanted to go into radio, and uh, when he went to Wayne State, the dean of the uh, broadcasting department didn't have the time of day for him. Hmm. So he was a little frustrated, and he was leaving the campus, walking through some buildings, and he saw a light on, and he poked his head in, and a very nice woman said, hi, can I help you? And uh, basically, it was the physics department, and they had the time of day for him. So That's awesome. He walked in there, and out of nowhere became a physics professor. That is fantastic. Now, did he have to go get educated to get like a master's in physics oh, or something? Or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. He This was like just at the very start of his schooling. So yeah, he went through the whole four years of, of undergrad. And um, so basically someone handed him a book of physics and said, great, go teach this. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> but he was already really good at the math part and all that. You know, he had a very analytical mind and he definitely took to it quickly. So I'm just curious, what, what brought them to Buffalo? So a job actually brought it, uh, brought my dad to Buffalo. He got a job teaching physics at uh, Buffalo State, and he uh, focused on optics and acoustics as his uh, primary, primary uh, study. And then eventually along came Stephen. Yeah, eventually. Yeah. A few years later, my brother was first. And then uh, my mother um, still lived in Detroit at the time. And my dad had just kind of uh, come out of a pretty rough situation his second wife passed away from cancer oh, i'm sorry and it was like kind of like a full systemic thing so uh he was pretty devastated but my mother lived in the same apartment building and they were already friends and they kind of got to know each other after you know the whole grieving process and fell in love oh that's awesome so after my dad got the job here uh he continued to court my mom and then they moved out here got married and all that Rest is history. Well, I love that you use the phrase, he continued to court my mom, because we don't usually use that phrase anymore. And courting is such a nice, yeah, it's a nice thought. Yeah, yeah. I I had very old-fashioned parents. Um, so a lot of those old expressions were things that were, you know, in our family vernacular, for sure. That's cool. And you grew up, obviously, in an extremely intellectual household, a lot of education, whatnot. Yes. Were you always interested in astronomy and art and music? Okay. So always interested in art. I mean, from pretty much uh, 
old enough to hold a crayon, I was interested in art. In fact, at, at four years old, I knew I was going to go to college and study art. Music, probably when I was around 11, I started writing music. And then... That's when you fell in love with Chris DeBerg, right? Chris DeBerg. <laughs> I don't think I knew who Chris DeBerg was when I was 11, but... And then Marillion uh, and Rush. Oh, wait, sorry. This is my life. Never yeah, I mind. think that's your life. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of those were my brother's favorite. Well, I'm friends with the wrong brother then. I guess, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was what was life like growing up as a kid in Buffalo? I'm curious. Such a great city. Yeah, it, it was it was an interesting childhood for sure. My my dad was not always home. He was the uh, the president of the teachers union, and he had a lot of long nights, meetings uh, in Albany late nights uh, with colleagues, you know, so he wasn't around a lot in the late seventies, at least. And then my mom had decided to be a stay at home mom to raise the kids. She didn't want to pursue teaching when she moved to Buffalo. So she kind of retired very young. So my mom was always around the house. Uh, most of my days were filled with a lot of, you know, really creative pursuits, you know, things with art projects. And uh, one of my best friends, we also used to make these uh, like radio plays all the time. So we had like tape recorders and we'd add music and sound effects and make little adventures. We probably had over a hundred of these things that we recorded. Uh, do you still have them anyway? I have them. Yeah. I don't know if they still play. Um, a lot of the tapes got pretty brittle. Some of them are almost faded where it's incoherent. Well, it's funny because you say my friends and I made these recordings and the people like millennials today would be like, oh, cool. Well, do you have MP3 you can send You're me? Exactly, yeah. That, you know, these yeah. are either 8-track or cassette tape or, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, I, I would have taken the time to digitize them, but they're so scattered over, you know, it's probably boxes and drawers of, of tapes. So you grew up just loving art since you were a little boy. And then mm -hmm. when did your interest in astronomy come into play? So there were two things that kind of triggered that. The first was seeing Saturn through a telescope. And I think anybody who's ever seen Saturn through a telescope is completely blown away by it. Yeah. You know, some people don't even believe they're looking at Saturn. Like I had a a friend looked through a scope for the first time and he thought I'd put like a, a slide of the planet somehow in the eyepiece. And it's like, no, that's, that's really Saturn. Like that little dot you're looking at there is actually that here. Um, and then the other thing was uh, astronomy merit badge at summer camp. And I had just an absolutely incredible counselor uh, named Robert Burgess. Been trying to find this guy for like my whole life mm. to thank him for really opening my eyes and making that whole science something that I would just pursue, not just as a passion, but also uh, to give as an educator. So when did you transition from just being a fan of astronomy as a science into actually educating people about it? Uh, that would be in college. So Buffalo State had a planetarium on campus like so many of the, the campuses did in the SUNY system in the 60s. Uh, during uh, the 60s with the space race, there was a big initiative to push planetariums in in a lot of the uh, schools across New York State. So uh, I had known there was a planetarium there, and I had always known the director because he was a friend of my dad. In fact, my dad was one of the first co-directors of the planetarium when it first opened in 64. But when I'd go on campus, I would have an opportunity to go to the planetarium and see some things there. Then when I became a freshman, I immediately joined the astronomy club there and 
learned uh, that you can become a planetarium presenter. So I did that. And then 87 to the present, I've been teaching astronomy. That's really cool. What's your favorite part of teaching? There's an excitement. There's, there's a give and take with your audience. And when you see that they're excited to learn about something and something you're saying, and they're responding, I, there's nothing like that. Mm-hmm. It's like this, this uh, connection with the audience. I think if you're passionate about anything, it comes across in how you present. And I, I've often felt that people don't give astronomy enough of a chance and once they see how exciting it can be, uh, when they can see some of those breathtaking images, for example, that some of the space telescopes have taken, and when they realize that it's it's really not that difficult to learn. Like, yeah. They think of a science as something that's really tough to learn. And astronomy is one of those ones that you can you can do it as a hobby. You don't have to learn all the math to enjoy it. Yeah, and astronomy is also a very wonderful perspective-giving science in that when you start to see the size of the cosmos Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and all the wonders that are in it, it's really, I think it's a wonderful thing. And you and I both, I know we've talked at length before about our love for Carl Sagan and cosmos Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the awareness that that brought to all of our, yeah, and the awareness that that brought to all of our lives as children. But obviously, and I've been a big fan of the space sciences since I was a child as well, and I wanted to ask you a specific question, actually. When I was growing up, the kind of projectors they had in a planetarium were like the Zeiss, the big, looks like a praying mantis kind of creature, you know? And I and I noticed, I recently was actually at a planetarium, and I noticed that it's totally changed now, and they, the whole thing is much smaller, and is this, uh, when did the evolution of the, not that it wasn't expected, but when did the evolution of the technology take place, and is it all LED-based now and stuff? What's the... So, yeah, there's there's a couple different directions the planetarium field went into. Very late 90s, there was a big push for digital planetarium systems, and digital can do amazing things. Your, your digital systems can actually let you travel through star fields. Mm. You can go from one side of the galaxy to the other and move throughout the stars in a real 3D way. And everything is depicted in the correct placement. So I, I could fly to a star, turn around and look back and that star field would be correct from that star. That's cool. Uh, but the problem is with the digital sky, you you can't show brighter and dimmer stars accurately because it's all a, a projection like a movie. So in order to make a star look brighter, you have to make it physically larger. And that's not what the stars really do. So there's the original technology uh, of planetariums were optical. And you still, as great as digital technology has gotten, they still can't touch the quality of an optical star field. But an optical star field can't move. Hmm. So you have mentioned LEDs. Yeah. Um, a lot of our current planetariums are doing LEDs with fiber optic, which is a fantastic star field. In fact, even some systems build their Milky Way out of individual stars, not a cloud-like projection. So you could actually look with binoculars onto a planetarium dome and see individual stars. Wow, that's cool. Crazy. Have you seen the hybrid technology coming from people like Minolta, their uh, Infinium projector system? Yeah, and yeah, and that's another one is is taking both of those technologies together. So you could have a, a hyper realistic star field, but when you need to move your star field or fly through it or bring up visuals, a hybrid system will let you overlay things seamlessly with your optical stars. So yeah, that's a, that's another way to, to go with the 
the technology. For sure. And what's so exciting about that as a lover of technology myself is that that means that the planetarium will continue to evolve uh, with the changing technology and still be an incredibly fun and cool place to go learn about science and see great shows. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully will inspire people to want to learn more and want to get out and find things in the real sky. Mm. The advantage with the planetarium, though, is that as cities keep expanding and suburbs get more and more light pollution, you know, light pollution. Yeah, your your planetariums are in some places the only way you can see what the sky is supposed to look like. Well, let's jump back a bit. I know I mentioned Carl Sagan. How much of an influence on your life was he? Uh, I mean, he, he really, I can't, um, can't remember another show that made astronomy accessible prior to Cosmos. Absolutely. You know, everybody yeah. could sit around the living room TV and, and watch that show and understand it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And he had a yeah. way of, of making things relatable. He had a way of bringing things down to a level that everyone could embrace. And that's, I think, the mark of a great educator is being able to inspire and make things mm-hmm. understandable. For sure, for sure. And I and I don't think anyone's done it better than Carl Sagan uh, in that kind of a, a genre ever since. Sure. I'm going to steer the questions towards art for a minute. I'm curious, as an artist yourself, do you have a favorite artist? There are a lot of artists I like, but there are too many to nail just one. There are a lot of movements in art that I appreciate. There are artists within subgenres that I appreciate. And a lot of it depends on my mood, you know, I, <laughs> seriously. It's like, like I, Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, the, I could go to a gallery and, and spend hours in, you know, post-impressionism or abstract expressionism or minimalism or, you know, you name it. Uh, the genres of art I don't like, you know, 17th and 18th century portraiture, I find that to be very boring and dull. You know, prior to the invention of the camera and film and photography, you know, that was how people were captured for for all time, Mm. you know, and it was just simply a way to to represent uh, somebody's likeness. Mm. I'm curious then, do you, does your artistic passion extend into photography? Oh, photography. Yeah, I, I, I love photography as well. I take a lot of pictures. And I and the, they look nothing like my paintings. Like my my paintings are very abstract. Photography, I often look for abstraction in the real world. You know, if you zoom in on like a cracked sidewalk or catch the way you know sunbeams are are traveling across uh, a surface mm. and zoom in on those. You know, there's a lot of abstraction in nature that just exists. If you if you crop it a certain way. Now, if fans of the show want to see your art, is there a website they can go to to do that? Yeah, I'm I'm on Instagram. I have some of my paintings up up there. Estubois art. I'm in the process of kind of expanding uh, the works that are on there, and I'm actually working right now on a, a series of 14 paintings. And this was an interesting uh, little story. I was cleaning out uh, my dad's study. He passed away 10 years ago, and uh, he was an artist himself, but he was always a preparer and not a doer. Mm. You know, he would, he would get things ready to do his next art project, but then he never really do the art project. Well, I found a, uh, a bearing uh, cigar box and inside were 14 tiny prepped surfaces. They were all basically corrugated cardboard. They were gessoed. They were all individually wrapped, but 
never done. You know, these just these 14 little blank canvases. So when I found this box, I said, I'm, I'm going to do 14 paintings. That's cool. And call it the Bearing Box Series. That's wonderful. I, I think you should put a whole little thing on Instagram or a website up about that. That's a beautiful story. And what a, what a great thing to exhibit. Yeah, yeah. That, that is definitely the plan when everything's all all done with those. I'm curious, Stephen, you're a musician, artist, you're a lover of science and educator, but if you could only do one of those things for the rest of your life, what would it be? Mm, wow. That's a tough one. <laughs> wow. I love, I love music. Like I could not live without music. People have asked me if, if I had the choice of either going blind or going deaf. I would choose going blind because I could not live without music. I think I'm the reverse. I think if I had to choose, I'd probably say I'd rather go deaf than lose my vision. Because with my vision, I can still be a photographer, still travel, still see the world, still it's true, yeah. do most things I want. And I could sense the vibration of music, but without being able to see the world uh, after having seen my whole life, I think that would be a great... Yeah, n- neither one would be really fun. <laughs> Just No, no, no. Yeah. But, uh, God, Debbie Downer, Jesus. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, yeah. Um, music's probably... Yeah. I really enjoy that so much. Are you a traveler? Do you like to travel? Oh yeah, I'm an avid camper, so I like traveling different places for hikes, um, different locales. Did you travel growing up with your family? Well, a lot of our vacations were visiting people we knew. So if they lived in some place that was exciting, well, that's where we went. Generally, um, most vacations were were back to Michigan to visit family, and I absolutely loved that time. Uh, one of my favorite vacations was when we went to Mammoth Cave. Vividly remember that. We also did Loray Caverns. Mm. As as a young adult, I started to really like going to different cities and would you know use vacation time and pick a pick a city. You know, go to Boston, go to Cleveland, Columbus, Niagara Falls. Niagara, well, that's close by. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Toronto. Toronto, I love. Toronto's one of my favorite cities. Me too. Yeah. Of all the places you've been, if you were going to recommend one place in the country you think everybody should see, where would that be? I think everybody should make it a point to see Letchworth State Park. Mm. It's about an hour outside of Buffalo. It's known as the Grand Canyon of the East. Anyone who loves hiking uh, waterfalls and down gorges, uh, it's it's an absolutely phenomenal place. Tons of local history. A lot of uh, Native American history of the Senecas uh, throughout that whole that whole region. I hiked there when I was in college, actually, and yeah. it's, it is a gorgeous place. No pun intended. <laughs> gorgeous. <laughs> 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 What's the number one place on your dream list that you haven't traveled you want to go to? Um, let's see. I would definitely like to see Salzburg, Austria. Did you know I was in Salzburg in December? Oh, you were. And and was it awesome? Do you want any spoilers? I don't mind spoilers. It was uh it was a magnificent trip. The people there are super wonderful. The sights are absolutely incredible. The hike up to the fortress is amazing. Like there, there's so much history and culture. And then we even did a tour of the Holly and Salt Mine mm. outside of the city a little bit, which was one of the coolest things I've ever done. And you can also, Vienna is only a short jump by car from there as well. So you can go to Vienna as well in the same Oh, trip. nice. Cool. Um, I also wanted to go to some parts of Asia. I would love, love, love to see Japan. Yeah, me too. I would like to see uh, some of the big cities in in China, um, just for the architecture. Not right now. Not right now, <laughs> but but there's, uh, I, I love architecture. It's another passion of mine. And uh, mm. there's some really cool 
things that are going on in China right now with uh, green spaces and, and how they're integrating landscape actually into the buildings. And it's, it's a pretty fascinating time right now for modern architecture. Well, since you brought up China, I'm just curious, how has COVID affected your life? Pretty badly, actually. In New York State, you know, we've we've had a lot of cases. For a while, we were, yeah. you know, the number one state. Um, not so much in Buffalo, certainly New York City more. But it's put a wrinkle in the opening of our new planetarium that's coming up. It's put a wrinkle in a lot of our local attractions. Uh, I'm a docent at the Darwin Martin House, the Frank Lloyd Wright design home in Buffalo. Uh, we haven't been open to the public since March. My scout troop, we haven't been able to meet, camp, do anything normal with that. Um, so yeah, a lot of things in my life are, are kind of on hold right now while we wait for it's this to run its course or, or a vaccine. Yeah. Are you working from home right now? Or no? I am working from home. Yeah. I've, I think I've gone in maybe three times since March oh, well. to actually work in the office. So fortunately, I wasn't furloughed, but a lot of the company was. So Now, are you having a new change of heart after this whole experience and want to continue to work from home even when things go back to normal? Or are you looking forward to going back to an office? You know, I mean, there's certain certain things I love about working from home, but I think the office setting I have a much bigger computer monitor. I have two monitors there. The connection, I don't have to worry about any lag time with my home connection versus just working right off the computer. So, mm. But at the same time, you know, I'm saving a ton of money on gas. My commute's like almost half an hour each way, you know, so I have an extra hour every day that I don't drive in. So yeah, there's, I don't know, there's, there's good and bad on both. You're not going to get any sympathy on the commute. For, talking yeah, to me, Angela, for you know. the guy from LA, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like half hour. That's awesome. <laughs> Let's jump back to music a little bit here. Uh, do you have a favorite style of music? Probably the electronic genre is, is represented the most in my collection. I, work in that genre myself as far as how I write. But I don't think there's a genre that I don't have at least some representation of in my music collection. Are you so, a fan of old electronic music like Tomita? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I love kind of watching the whole history. And uh, there's, I mean, things actually go back. Utilizing electronics in music goes back actually to the 1930s. That's when people first started to experiment. In the 40s, it started to become more prevalent. And then there's a big boom in, in the quality of the sound and technology. In the 70s, right? Well, 60s too. Um, Is that when Moog came to be a... Yeah. And, and the big thing there when um, Wendy Carlos had done the uh, switched on Bach. Ah. And it was uh, transcriptions of like the Brandenburg Concerto. It was all done on electronics. Albums like that really were instrumental in in kind of launching the electronic movement. And then mm. you had everything going on in Germany uh, in the late 60s, early 70s. Well, you know, something I think is very important to address right now, because you're talking about this, is that we live in a world where, you know, I think acceptance is a very, very important thing. Uh, acceptance of different cultures, of different peoples, of different ways of life. And I have actually referenced you before as a friend saying that I didn't know I was actually capable of being friends with someone who loves opera but you do. I do. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, but you know, you like classical a True. lot. So yes. I mean, but look, you and I have made it work as friends with differences. So yeah. maybe opera can fix racism. Right. <laughs> I don't know if opera is going to fix racism, but it's worth a try. But for years, for years, though, I will say this, you know, opera was bringing in all different cultures and races in in productions. You know, you, you would see like a complete mix of people from all over the world, you know, playing parts. And it was all about the music and the performance. And it, it didn't matter that people of the same family didn't look like each other. Yeah. What mattered was picking the right voice, the best voice. And you know, opera embraced diversity, I think, long before a lot of other arts did. I was just trying to make fun of you for liking opera, but I'm glad that we actually got this to a real point of diversity. <laughs> <laughs> now, why don't you like opera? Is it is it the... Because I have taste. Oh, snap. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, the, the truth is, I really do respect opera as an art form. I, I really do respect that it creates... It takes an incredible amount of talent and, mm -hmm. and, you know, it is a beautiful art form. It's just not good for my ears. You know, just certain types of music people don't mm -hmm. like, you know. Uh, I have a friend who really hates some of the pop music that I'm into, you know, and he's super into blues and jazz. And there's some artists he like that he likes that I don't like. Um, so it's just it's like anything. Some people like hamburgers. Some people like hot dogs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now, are you a fan of classical classical music itself? I am. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, would say okay. probably I, thought, I thought so. 45% of my music collection is classical and opera. And do you like movie soundtracks and scores as much as I do? I do, yeah. In fact, when I first started buying music, that was pretty much all I listened to mm. were movie scores. And then then I got into new wave, and then I got into electronic music. So um, it was a weird trans transition. And, mm. you know, I... Worked in a record store, as you know, because yeah. I worked with you in that same record store for a while. Yeah, and we should actually talk about that for a second, because uh, it brings up a point that I've talked about before on the show about connections. For fans of the show, I, I think it's actually fun to point out that Stephen and I actually met working in this record store in Buffalo together. And the reason I tell you that is because you just never know when you meet people in life, how those connections are going to grow over time and become really cool things. And, and we've traveled together, you and I. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's one of those things I do stress to people in life is talking to people and meeting people and growing your circle of friends and stuff. But anyway, continue. Yes, we worked in this record store and, and played Star Wars with the poster rolls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but more importantly, uh, you meet people and in a music store, you start to learn their tastes and they say, have you ever heard this album? Have you ever heard this album? And then you're, you're talking about music pretty much all day. You're sharing music, you're playing music over the, the store system. You're, you're making mixes for friends. And, you know, it was a way that really diversified musical taste. And the more you got to meet people, the more diverse those tastes evolved. So I'm curious, Stephen, because I'm such a lover of literature as well. Uh, do you have a favorite childhood book? When I was a very young kid, I think my favorite book was uh, called Sylvester and the Magic Pebble. Don't know if you've ever heard of that. No. But this this horse named Sylvester, he finds a pebble. And as long as he's holding it, anything he wishes for will come true. Oh, I want that pebble. He Well, <laughs> Sylvester was wandering through the mountains and a mountain lion appeared. So he needed to protect himself. So he turned himself into a rock and the pebble fell one inch away from the rock and he couldn't touch it. So he couldn't turn himself back. This is a terrible story. 
But it has a happy ending. Oh, okay. Because years later, his parents are having a picnic in the mountains, lamenting over the fact that they never found out what happened to their son or where he went. And then they found the pebble and they said, wow, Sylvester used to love collecting pebbles just like this. He would have loved this. And they placed it on the rock and he came back to life. Ah, still the same age? Oh, uh, yeah, I think he was the same age, but had a happy ending. I mean, he lost like decades of his it's... life, but <laughs> I know, I know, right? <laughs> sitting there as a rock. But uh, I don't know. I love I love that book. I, I remember reading it a lot. Speaking of family and parents, uh, I know you've lost both your parents and I lost yes. my dad a couple of years ago. Uh, what was that journey for you like? What do you think is the most profound thing you learned from that experience? I think the biggest thing I learned was regret. I was a, a rather difficult teen. And I tended to push my parents, in particular, my mother away. And when she passed, I realized all that wasted time that I could have had talking to her, building more memories with her. Mm. You can't get that time back. So I made sure I didn't do that with my dad. And my dad and I actually became almost like best friends after my mom died. Like we we would have like super long conversations and and just spent a lot of great quality time together and when he died that was that was pretty devastating yeah you know that took me years to get over i mean it's been 10 years now but i mean it was still hurts cuz he was not just a great dad to me he was an even more helpful to me as an art critic mm-hmm. you know when he would look at my paintings and work with you know, critiques. He was brutally honest, but super helpful as well. And like I mentioned earlier, he he was an artist. He tried to be an artist himself. You know, I think it's really incredible to have that kind of honesty with your parent, let alone any other human being. For me, I think that the hardest transition when dealing with the loss of my dad was this idea of how do I learn to live without him the rest of my life, you know, and that goes for anyone that you love that you lose. And, and, and it is a process, like you will be figuring out how to function without parents for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's hard to describe that emptiness sometimes. And all, all we can do is patch those little holes they leave behind with memories. That's really, that's a really beautiful statement. Now, you don't have any kids yourself. No, I don't. No no desire to have them or adopt or anything? No, not really. You know, I I work with youth both in in the scout troop as well as with the planetarium. So I'm I'm around youth and I, you know, I'm I'm fine teaching and all that. But yeah, I've never really wanted to, to be a parent myself. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think people are wired for it and people aren't. And I don't know if it was just uh, getting in the way, I think, of everything I wanted to do in life. Maybe I saw it as settling. Maybe I saw it as an inconvenience. I don't know. It's just never been a desire. Do you have any fear of getting old and who's going to take care of you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that stuff does does worry me a bit. Any nieces or nephews you can stick with the burden? <laughs> I have a, a nephew with a new wife. Of, you know, he got married a few years ago, so... I don't expect them to, you know, to take care of me. I hope I can stay healthy and stay active and not have some sort of debilitating disease where I'm a burden to somebody. I just don't want to be a burden to anybody. Well, what advice would you give to people about their parents and if they're still alive and, and even just in general, their loved ones? Never push them away. Make an effort to, to continue to build and strengthen those relationships. 
if there's anything unsaid, say it and and move past disagreements and don't don't ever regret not doing enough, saying enough, or being there for your parents. What's one thing both your mom and your dad taught you in your life that you think is important? One for each of them. One for each of them. Um, I think my dad taught me to follow your passions. I think with my mother, uh, she taught me to try to always present yourself uh, correctly when it came to speaking and grammar and things like that. You know, she was the English teacher and she would always correct my friend's grammar when they would come to visit. Kind of annoying sometimes, actually. But, <laughs> but she said the, the way that you carry yourself you say words like ain't, you know, and things that are too casual with your with your speaking. People won't take you seriously. So are you afraid of dying? Yeah, I definitely uh, have that fear. Uh, I'm afraid to die like my parents died. That's for sure. I don't want to die a long, painful cancer death like my mother. And I, I don't want to be dying without getting to do everything I wanted to do. You and me both. Yeah. My, my dad had a fear of dying and his fear was based on, he didn't want to miss anything. He didn't want to miss the big technology breakthroughs. He didn't want to miss the discoveries in astronomy and astrophysics. He didn't want to miss, you know, the, the music that was still yet to be written. Yeah. And, and I think about that kind of stuff and it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to miss any of that either. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh yeah, definitely dying is something that I've been thinking a lot more of lately as I, you know, I'm past that point of the hill. What's the first book you read or movie you saw that made you cry? Well, I mean, I think every kid gets a little misty at things like the goodbye scene in The Wizard of Oz or like when Charlotte dies at the end of Charlotte's Web. Oh, sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think the first movie that really leveled me emotionally was the 1979 remake of The Champ with John Voight, Faye Dunaway, and Ricky Schroeder. I don't remember it being a terribly good movie, but it had just the saddest ending that I'd ever seen. And I, I just sobbed. It was, it was a very, very emotional film. Mm. I'm curious, what dreams would you still like to fulfill? Well, I mean, I still would like to be successful in my art or my music to the point where I could support myself on it. And right now they're, you know, considered part-time, you know, because I'm not making enough on that alone. So I, I would love to have one of those things kind of take off. How do you think your priorities have changed at 52 versus what they were at 22, 32, and 42? I, I think uh, when you're really young, you don't think about the end plan, you know? So I, I didn't start a big retirement fund, you know, until my 40s, actually. I'd love to go back in time and fix that. Well, if you could tell your younger self anything, what would it be? Get a master's. Really? Yeah. I, I Biggest regret is I should have got a master's. It's not too late. Well, it is now. It's astronomically expensive. Astronomically. Nice, nice word. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Twenty to $30,000 easy. And I did five years of college back in the 80s for $5,700, including books and art supplies. Wow. Don't they have some kind of scholarship or grant for like sexy 52-year-old you know, <laughs> teachers with a, with a goatee? Doesn't the goatee help you get, you know, some kind of bonus? <laughs> I could look into that. Normally, it's $30,000, but we're going to give this guy a free education. Did you see that, that little chin see thing that? he's got going on? <laughs> All right. What is love to you? I think love is fully accepting somebody for who they are 
and embracing their quirks and embracing how they strengthen you. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Next question. Imagine that you have a cold and you're laid up on the couch. What's the one feel-good movie or TV show that you would love to watch that would make you feel better? Interestingly, when I'm sick and laid up like that, I use that time to binge on something I've never seen more than something I've already seen. When I want to feel better, though, when I want to feel good, what I like to do is kind of watch my favorite scenes. So I might go on YouTube and find, you know, movie clips of some of my favorite movie scenes that make me feel good. That's cool. But generally, if I'm if I know I'm sick and going to be in bed all day, I'll say, wow, I've always wanted to watch this show and I'll, you know, binge like 12 episodes in a row. What does success in life look like to you? Doing what you love and, and being successful at it. Like, I think that is the ultimate goal. I would, I would love to either with the art or music, like I said earlier, uh, be able to fully support myself. And if I could do that, I think that's, that's what success would look like. What's your spirit animal? I really, really like chipmunks. That is awesome. No one said that in the podcast before. Number one favorite woodland creature. Why is that? I, I They're amazing. Uh, I love their coloring. I love their adventurous nature. They'll just like go to town uh, <laughs> running around the forest and digging little holes. And yeah, I'm a huge fan of chipmunks. Well, Stephen, the last thing we do on the podcast is a little game I have called 299 Philosophical and Life Questions with Moonbird. I have a list here I've collected over time of 299 Philosophical and Life Questions. You get to pick two numbers randomly. Okay. I'll ask you those two questions and hopefully you'll answer. What are your two numbers? Let's do 146 and 248. 146 and 248. 146. What is your most cherished childhood memory? There was a cabin that our neighbors owned, and once a summer, we would get to spend a week there, and it was on Lake Ontario. I think it's where I first got my love of camping, but this was a pristine, beautiful little lodge right on the lake, lush forests. There was one of those, uh, you know, kind of cable cable things stretched across a ravine. and we Like would, a zipline? Like a zipline, but you, you held onto it with your hands overhead more than oh, cool. strapped into it. But yeah, we we would go rowboating, we would go swimming and fishing. And yeah, I, I think I really cherish those those memories. That's awesome. Question 248 is a little more serious. So if you don't want to answer, I understand we can choose a different question. But it is, what is the best pizza topping combination? What is the best pizza topping combination? It's a very important question. It Damn. is. It is. I really like putting uh, ricotta cheese and meatballs on a pizza, along with the other mozzarella and you know garlic and whatnot. But I love love that creaminess, and I love the big chunks of meatball. We are allowed to keep being friends, then. Oh, you like that too? I do. I enjoy it quite a bit. It's not my favorite, but I definitely enjoy it. I love ricotta cheese. I love meatballs. Yeah. Believe it or not, my favorite pizza of all time is a straight cheese pizza. Just no toppings. But my other favorite is uh, ham and pineapple. I really love a Hawaiian pizza. I I like a Hawaiian pizza. I know that the internet doesn't. There's a lot of memes that are saying it's the worst thing in the world. But Well, the internet can go fuck itself. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I think it's a really good combination and there there are some great pizzerias that that pull that off spectacularly and also it's really amazing if you do canadian bacon instead oh, of oh i agree it's a, I yeah love... canadian bacon pineapple 
and little drops of goat Canadian cheese. Canadian baby. Yes. 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 My God, I'm so hungry now. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Stephen, before we go, I just would really love to know, in your experience, 52 years on Earth and all the wonderful things you've done and the amount of people that you've met in your life, what do you think is the meaning of life? Meaning of life to me is always reach out and try to learn as much as you can from every person you meet. I think every person has a story. You can never tell what that story is simply by looking at their their face or what you presume their story to be. Get to know people, get to know their passions and and explore those relationships honestly and and fully. Stephen, I can't thank you enough for being here. You are great. I always love hanging out and talking to you and talking yeah, about the old days I, back I in college you. and whatnot. I miss you, dude. I miss you too, man. <laughs> well, hey, buddy, you have a wonderful day and take care you of yourself. You too. Thank you. Friends and listeners, if you'd like to check out Stephen's music and his artwork, his music is available at iTunes and Amazon and most other streaming services. And his artwork you can check out at Instagram forward slash S Dubois artwork. That's S D U B O I S artwork. And while you're surfing the web, please support this show at patreon.com forward slash moonbird. Even a dollar really helps us keep the lights on. And if you'd like even more moonbird than that, and hey, who wouldn't? Head on over to memoriesofamoonbird.com or visit me on social media at memoriesofamoonbird. And hey, support the arts because you don't want your kids to grow up to be axe murderers. Stay safe. Stay safe.